We want our lives to matter. We want our lives to make an impact. We don't want the world to be a better place because we're not here. We want the world to be a better place because we are here. And as I was thinking about that, God gave us an amazing gift. He gave every one of us an amazing gift this morning. And that's the gift of asking questions. You know, I believe you find some very powerful answers when you ask powerful questions. And I was thinking about this idea of what is the most important thing to be healthy in? What is the most important thing that you can be healthy in? Now, you can have healthy finances. You can have a healthy work ethic. You can have a healthy family life. You can have a healthy retirement fund. You can have a lot of things that are healthy in life. But as you think of it, you ask yourself that question right now. What is the most important place you need to be healthy? What is the most important place you need to be healthy? And I think if we were honest and we considered and weighed everything, we would all agree that spiritual health is the most important thing for us to be healthy in. And so that's why we're focusing these few weeks on how do we become spiritually healthy? How do we live spiritually healthy lives? And it is so important, it is so valuable that God even tells us through the book of John, chapter 4, verse 23, he says, Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Think about that for a second. The kind of worshiper the Father seeks are those who worship in spirit and truth. For God is spirit. And his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. And worship is not just when we sing songs. Worship is your whole life. Worship is what you do from Monday to Sunday. Worship is a lifestyle. And so, how do we live spiritually healthy lives? We started and we talked about the importance of the fact that we were created for the Holy Spirit to lead our thoughts and our emotions. Did you know that you're made up of three parts? Every single one of us is made up of three parts. And a lot of times we think of them as our emotions and our logic, but we sometimes miss the fact that we have a spirit, and our spirit is either alive or it is dead. And if our spirit is dead, then either our emotions or our logic lead our lives. And as we look at the world, we see that. We see a lot of people, a lot of groups of people, a lot of nations that are led by either emotion or logic. But the third is actually the one that is called to lead us, the one that was created to lead us, and that is our spirit. And so you and I were created to be led by the Holy Spirit of God to lead us in all the decisions we make in life. And then last week, we talked about the importance of of how we stay connected to the vine. Uh, A godless life produces nothing of eternal significance. If I'm disconnected from God, if I'm living my life on my own terms and I'm trying to achieve my own thing and I'm not connected to God, I'm not living for what I was created to be. And no matter what I achieve in the eyes of the world, it will all fade away to nothing. And the reality that that even if I have the nicest motorcycle, it will not last. If I have the nicest house, if I have the most stuff, if I achieve the most things, if I'm the greatest person to live in the time that I live, it's all forgotten and it all pass away. The only thing that truly matters is your relationship to God and being connected to him in all things in your life. And so how do we do that? Today is an application. How do we live that out? I believe for us to live this out, we need to be spiritually healthy. We must love like Jesus. 
You've got to love like Jesus. How many of you hear that statement and say, wow, that is, a, that is not easy? <laughs> How easy is it to love like Jesus? Sometimes I wonder, what was it like to be Jesus' brother or sister, right? How many times did Mary and Joseph say, how come you can't be more like Jesus? Why can't you just be like your brother Jesus? He never does these things you do, right? And it can be discouraging. I'm sure his brothers were discouraged that here, you want to talk about the overachiever of overachievers. Jesus was the greatest overachiever of all time, right? Uh, Sibling rivalry, he always wins, right? And so there's this element of how can I be like Jesus? How can I live up to that standard? How can I possibly love like Jesus is loved? He's God made flesh. He's the perfect person. And so that's what we're going to look at today, and we're going to ask God to help us to understand what that means for us to love like Jesus. And so the question is, do you love like Jesus today? Do you love like Jesus? Let's ask God to teach us and grow us as we look at his words. Father God, you are awesome and you're worthy, and Lord, you reveal things to us, and uh, Lord, you have come to this earth, and you have lived a perfect life, and you have been tempted every way that we've been tempted. Um, You know the struggle of hunger. You know the struggle of lust. You know the struggle of of just um, the challenges of of peer pressure and, and the world. And so, Lord, we know that you can empathize with us. We know that you care about us. We know that you want the best for us. We know that you are a good and holy father who desires for his children to grow and mature and to be full of joy. So, Lord, we ask you now as we look to your word that you would speak to us directly to our hearts that our spirits would be filled, and that, Lord, your Holy Spirit would show us new things. And, Lord, if there's anyone here that doesn't have you as their Savior, does not have your Holy Spirit living within them, Lord, that you would speak into their life right now, and that you would make it clear to them what that means and how they can do that at this very instant. So, Lord, we, we commit this time to you. We know that your, your word does not return void. And so, Lord, we ask that all the distractions, the noises of the motorcycles, our hunger, the stresses of the week, all the things that we carry with us all the time, that those would be put aside so we can focus on you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you have your Bibles, we'll be looking at John chapter 13, so we can learn what God has to say about all this. Uh, John chapter 13, we're going to look at verses 9 through 17 this morning to give you a little bit of context. I think it's important whenever you read the Bible that you try to find out as much context, background, who it was written to, who it was, uh, uh, why it was given to them. I would encourage you to find out that because it helps you to understand the teaching. And so here, John is one of Jesus' closest disciples, one of his closest uh, friends, and he records this information for us so that we can have accurate information. We have an eyewitness. He heard it straight from Jesus' mouth so that we can know for certain that these things are true and trustworthy. And we can build our lives upon them. And so here's what John has to say about this idea of loving like Jesus. John 13, 9 through 17 begins like this. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. I just want to stop just for a moment. I want you to think about that that phrase, that, that statement that Jesus just made. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Do you recognize that Christ loves you with the same intensity that the Father loves him? 
that you are loved deeply. I think one of the biggest lies the world tells us is that we are not loved by God. I think one of the greatest burdens we can carry is either thinking we're too bad for his love or too distant for his love. Do you recognize that the God of the universe, the one who created all things, he came to earth as a man and he says, as the way the Father loves me, I love you? Now remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remained in his love. And so as we look at that and and try to understand that and apply that to our lives, he's saying, if you keep my commandments, if you remain in me, we will remain in a relationship. But you are all, all of you, all of us will be tempted to walk away and obey our own commandments. Every single one of us knows this. We know that our hearts and our desires are not always pure and good. And we have ways we live. We have things that we do that we are in control of us. And so we have our own set of commandments. I do what's right for me. I do what makes me happy. I shall follow me. And there's a problem. There's a significant problem. We cannot both follow our own commandments and follow the commandments of God. And there's even a greater problem than that. This is the most significant problem of humankind. This is the most important problem for us to all understand. To live under my own commandments is to live in rebellion. Not just rebellion, but separation from God. Anytime I live in my own commandments and follow my own ways, I have walked away from God. I have turned away from him. I have left my created purpose. Any time in any of our lives that we decide to live by our own commandments, our own ways, we turn our back on God and we walk away. And he's saying, for us to be in unity, for us to be what I created you to be, for us to live in this loving relationship, I have got to be the one that you follow. I have got to be the one that you listen to, not your emotions and not your logic. I need you to focus on me as your leader and your guidance and the place of your commandments. And we see this play out. There's a beautiful picture. It's a very helpful picture. It helps me to understand it better in the Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament, uh, the people that God chose, he chose a man named Abraham, and Abraham had a son named Isaac, and Isaac had a son named Jacob, and then uh, a group of people were formed. And and Joseph, if you remember, Joseph uh, took the people out of the promised land to Egypt because of a famine, and then they returned, and there was an establishment of God's people. And God's people were in the promised land. They had returned to where God told them they would be. And he said, I'm going to make you fruitful. I'm going to do amazing things. And they established the nation of Israel. And they said, we want to be like everybody else. We want to be just like our neighbors. We want to have that nice motorcycle, that nice thing. We want to be like everyone else. We want to have that king. Everyone has a king. You're nobody if you don't have a king. The king is the thing to have. And so Samuel, who's appointed by God to be the prophet, the spokesperson, God says, look, they're not mad at you. They're mad at me. They've not rejected you. They've rejected me as their king. So I will give them a king. And so he gives them a king. Do you know how they pick the king? 
See, I would never be good in this contest. They pick the tallest guy. <laughs> I would never be up for king. You know, I look, I, like, we have some people here that are connected to the military. I was thinking, man, it'd be cool to fly, fly a jet. But you've got to be like a certain height. Discrimination. I'm a little upset. But this is what they did. They said, look, the outside matters. How it looks on the outside, that's the most important thing. Doesn't sound familiar to us at all because we don't, we don't care about that, right? The outside, the outside. And so they picked a king. His name was Saul. His name literally means uh, powerful. It means I don't need any help, basically. <laughs> and so Saul becomes king, and he actually does an okay job. But God gives Saul a commandment. God says, this is what I want you to do. If you follow me in obedience, we will be in a great relationship, and I can bless you. And by blessing you, I will bless my people. And so God gives him a very distinct job. He says, this Saul, I want you to take out this land, and I want you to take everything. I don't want you to leave anything. Don't leave anything. Wipe the thing completely clean, because if there's anything left, the remnant could cause major problems in the future. So I need you to wipe it all out. And Saul says, okay, and God gives him the victory, but he doesn't wipe it all out. Because he says, why would I wipe out this money that's sitting around here? Why would I wipe out these animals that are very helpful for producing things? God can't mean when he commanded me to do this. He can't mean that he wants me to get rid of all these resources, And so he keeps the resources and doesn't wipe it all out. Well, guess what happens? He broke God's commandment. He broke the relationship to God. And God sends Samuel to him. And here's what he says in 1 Samuel 5, 23. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Because you rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Because Saul decided that he had his own way of doing things. He knew a little bit better than God. He was going to do it his way because he had commandments that he was willing to follow over what God had commanded him to do. Because of that, he was separated from God. And he was no longer king. And he died a horrible death. Now, you contrast that. There's this young boy, David. And he's the son of Jesse. And there's this great Philistine, Goliath. And he's strong and powerful and everyone's afraid of him. David's like, why are you afraid? The God on our side can wipe that guy out like nothing. And we all know the story. I mean, we use this as an analogy for overcoming great obstacles in life. David takes the stones and he throws the stone and goes and and finishes off Goliath. And he, he becomes this epic character. Everyone thinks he should be king next. But guess who's king? Saul. And Saul doesn't like David very much. Because everybody loves David. You know what they sing? They sing, Saul has killed his hundreds, but David his thousands. They sing a song. The people are singing songs about how great David is comparatively to Saul. Guess how Saul feels about that? Not very good. And so Saul commits some of his time to trying to wipe David out, to kill David. He wants to get rid of him. Because he has pride. Now he has walked so far from God, the only God in his life is himself. You know, you can walk so far away from God that the only God in your life is yourself, and it is miserable. 
The most miserable place in life is to be your own God. But that's where Saul was. But we see David. David has these opportunities to kill Saul. He has these opportunities where God puts him in the right place at the right time and he can kill Saul, but he doesn't. You know why? Because God made Saul king and David respected God. And so here's what we hear about David in Acts 13. This is the New Testament. Paul writes this. Acts 13, 22. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Now you say, but, but Mike, I know the whole story of David, right? David had a man put to death because he had slept with the man's wife and got her pregnant. I would say read Psalms 51, where David is confronted with the truth of what he has done in his relationship with God. Now, now Saul was confronted in his relationship with God, and he got stubborn and bitter and walked away. David is confronted with his sin. He has done something extraordinarily wicked. He has done something that has separated him from God. He, he has done something that is evil, and he's confronted with it. How does he respond? Father, forgive me. Clean this from me. Clean this evil. My joy has been stolen from me. My joy is gone. I have walked my own way. I have lived my own commandment. I have lived my own uh, path. I've done me. I made my own way. And now I recognize because of that I have walked away from you. Please forgive me. The difference between Saul and David Saul was after his own way, and David was after the way of the Lord. And so that brings us back to this picture. It says, remain in me and my love, and if you obey my commandments, you'll do that. And he continues in verse, 13, or verse 11, I have told you this, why? So that your joy may be in you, so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be what? Complete. My command is this. Love each other as what? Look at that. That is unbelievable. Love each other as I loved you. Do you realize God wrote the first of the Ten Commandments, and and we take that, and and they, they expounded that, and they say, love your neighbor as yourself. And so for many years, they said, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, Jesus took the idea of loving your neighbor as yourself, and he even took it up another level, and he said, no, don't just love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love others as I have loved you. How does Jesus love you? How does Jesus love you today? And don't miss this. He wants your joy to be complete. Do you know what I've recognized in life as I watch those that I grew up with, those that are in my life? Those who live by their own commandments, those that walk their own way, slowly lose joy and happiness. Not even joy, happiness. And it trickles away slowly by slowly, and eventually there's almost none left. Because you can only have so much in yourself. There's only so many things you can get to make you happy. There's only so many experiences you can have to make you happy. There's only so much that can make you happy in this life. But joy is found in the Lord. True joy is only found in the Lord. 
I would say this, you can have fun without Jesus, but you cannot have joy. You can have fun without Jesus, but you cannot have joy. And you know what? That is what people need to know. That's why, and I didn't mention announcements, the Spruce Creek Baptist Church, we're, they're allowing us to partner with them Thursday, Friday, Saturday to hand water bottles out and have food and just talk to people about how they can have joy, how they can have salvation, how they can have meaning to life, how they can, their joy can be complete, that they can have completeness, they can have peace, they can have an understanding of where they came from, why they're here, and what's yet to come. These are powerful things that the church of Jesus Christ has been entrusted with to share with the world. To share with the world. Why does he want us to stay connected to him? Why does he want us to obey his commandments? Why does he want us to love people the way that he loves us? So that our joy can be complete. So that we can have joy that passes all understanding. He doesn't want the worst for you. He doesn't want you to be miserable. He doesn't want to beat you up. He wants you to be full of joy. But we trick ourselves and we deceive ourselves into believing that somehow joy comes from somewhere else. And the world keeps telling us joy comes from this, joy comes from that. Every commercial is built on the idea that joy is going to come from what you purchase. And yet there's only one fountain that has the water of joy. There's only one place that we can find it. Here's what he says next, 13. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know what his master's business Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I have learned from the Father, I have made known to you. Do you recognize not only did John hear this, not only did the disciples hear this, not only did the first church hear this, you and I are hearing it now. He has not hidden it. You realize we live in a time where everyone on the earth could download a Bible and read this. He has made it for all of us to know. Your joy can be complete. But you've got to make a profound and significant decision in your life. Will you live for your own commands in your own way? Or will you submit them to the Lord? How many people I've talked to that say, I love heaven, I just don't love giving God my life. It's mine and I want to own it. I want to have my own commands. I want to have my own ways. But that's a lie. It's a deception. And it only leads to death. And then finally, well, the truth is we all have social media now. Jesus has friend requested all of us. Right? You have received a friend request. You know, you look at those. You get them on Facebook for those that do that. And you look, I don't know who that person is. But Jesus knows who you are. And every day, every morning, you know every morning, every day of your life, Jesus has been there with you. And he's been saying, hey, I'm here. If you want me to come along, I will, I will show myself to you. 
every day. And think about how many days in our life we follow something else. We follow something else, and as if that something else is better. And we don't do that on purpose. We all do it. We don't do it on purpose. And I think God lets us do it so that we can know the difference about how wonderful he is and how little the world has to offer. And then he finally, this is powerful. 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. The most significant thing Jesus could tell us about being spiritually healthy is loving each other. I've been in church all of my life. Sometimes I think it's the most unloving place I've been, unfortunately. I've met some very unloving people that are part of the church. But you know what? Jesus says, you can talk about them and you can gossip about them or you can love them. So Mike, how about you love them? And that's what I would say to all of us. You don't get to choose whether someone loves you, but you can choose if you love others. And so that's what he says. He says, I created you for great fruit. You have been given the responsibility of living a fruitful life. Did you know that? From birth to death, your responsibility is to be fruitful spiritually, to come to Christ, to be born alive, and then to be fruitful the rest of your life. And at the end of your life, guess what you get to do? You get to take all that fruitfulness and you get to give it to the Lord as a gift. And that was why you were created. Do you know how powerful it is? You know how many people throughout all of history wanted to know why they existed? They wanted to know the meaning of life. They wanted to know why they were put on planet Earth. And we have all been told specifically what that answer is. Do you know the power of that? That Jesus just said, the whole reason that I placed you here is that you may come to know me. And by knowing me, you will produce fruit. And that fruit will last forever. And so how do we do this? How do we produce this fruit? How do we love like Jesus? I believe you can only love like Jesus when you're his friend. Who's your closest friend in your life? Why did you consider him that? Who is your closest friend in life and why did you consider him that? Do you recognize Jesus wants to be that in your life? He wants to be the closest friend you've ever had. He wants to support you. When everyone's running out, he's running in. When everyone else is saying how horrible you are, he's saying you're forgiven. When you don't feel loved by anyone, he's saying, I love you. I'm here for you. I will always be here for you. I died for you. There's nothing more someone can do than to lay down their life for their friend. And that's what Jesus did for every single one of us, those who want to be his. So how do we apply this? How do we apply this? I believe first we have to ask the question, what does love require of me? Jesus always asked the Father, "What? because God is love, what do you require? 
If you read the New Testament over and over, he said, not my will, but the Father's will. Father, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to treat this person? How do you want me to do my job? How do you want me to be a neighbor? How do you want me to be a husband? How do you want me to be a father? Not my will, but your will be done. What does love require of me in this moment? What does love require of me in this decision? What does love require of me? We always know the answer to that. Did you know that? God has written his law in your heart. It is never a surprise. Now, we don't like that answer, and it's not an easy answer, and sometimes we don't even feel like we can do that answer, but we know the answer. What does love require of me in this situation? And because I believe we cannot do that on our own, you can't make yourself good, you can't force yourself to do these things, we all always need to ask God to help us. I can tell you so many times where I said, God, help me, and he did. You know, I'm not unique. I'm not special. I'm not different. Every single one of us, every single one of us has a a connection to the Father through Christ. He says, call on me when you're weak, when you're heavy laden, when you're burdened down, 